0: What do you do when somebody else's sinful actions burden you? What do you do when someone else decides that you are going to be the victim of their sin? What do you do when you don't get a vote with how you are going to be treated? And as a result of that, you are left with a burden to bear. But burden is too light of a word. It affects you. It causes pain, anxiety, and maybe even what you would call depression. Even breathing is something you have to remember to do now. Forced deep breaths offer some relief for a few seconds, but then it's back. But it doesn't stop there. It causes doubts about your God. It takes the joy away from reading your Bible. It makes you feel like God has hung up the other side of the phone and has just left you sitting there. And the worst part is it doesn't show signs of stopping wave after wave, day after day, and you just can't take it anymore. What do you do? What should you do when you are overwhelmed by someone else's sin? To answer this question, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 143. If you're using one of the pew Bibles provided, it'll start on page 301. And if you do not have a Bible at home, you can take that as a gift from our church to you. To give us an idea of the context of Psalm 143, it is in the list of of psalms known as the seven penitential psalms. These psalms are characterized for their lamenting nature, or in other words, by expressing of the depths and pain and sorrow of one's own sin, Or the sins of others. Now, for the historical context, we know that it was penned by David. We see that at the very top of the psalm, and that's not disputed. But as far as what part of David's life caused him to write this psalm, it is uncertain. So we will have to pay close attention to the words to get the backdrop for what is going on. So, with that in mind, we begin in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. I have one point for us that we will be unpacking in our time together this morning. And that is that a Christian should respond to overwhelming trouble in humble, honest, dependent, confident prayer. I'll say it again. A Christian should respond to overwhelming trouble in humble, honest, dependent, confident prayer. We begin in verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy, in your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. David does not begin the psalm with a list of what he has done, or could do, or will do for God. He doesn't do that at all. He begs or pleads with God at the beginning of this psalm just to be heard. You see, David saw that he had no right, no merit for God to even hear him. To be clear here, I want us to understand that David does not, is not saying that God has selective hearing. He's not trying to get God's attention like God is looking the other way and David is pulling on his sleeve trying to get him to turn around and look at David and his troubles. David knows God's omniscience. David knows that there is not a single square inch on this earth that God does not have full knowledge of. Don't forget, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David is the one that pinned. Psalm 139, which says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So, friends, in our text, David is not trying to get God to turn up his hearing aids. He's not trying to grab God's attention like it's something that he doesn't already have. Friends, what David is trying to get us to understand in our text is that he has no right. He has no favors to call in. That there is nothing he has done in himself or will do that will secure God answering him favorably in this circumstance. That's why he starts with just wanting to be heard. And what does he ask for? Mercy. For God to not look at him and see all the sin of his life. For God to not look at him and give him justice, he asks for mercy. He asks for God to not carry out what his sinful life rightly requires. For God to not separate himself from him in such a way that he feels like he's abandoned, like God can't hear him. This is why he continues in the second half of verse 1, In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. David is looking for something outside of himself. In a prayer where he is being crushed at the hands of his enemy, where his heart is appalled as David is the victim, David pleads for mercy. Being a victim does not make you righteous. We have to acknowledge that we can be a victim of other people's sins, but that doesn't make us righteous. David, as the victim in this story, doesn't look at God and say, I haven't done anything wrong, help me. No, he says in verse two, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. He says, no one living is righteous before you. Friends, David's humble reflection of his own depravity sends him to cry out and to trust in something outside of himself. This understanding is what causes him to say back in verse 1, your faithfulness, your righteousness. Because David in himself is not righteous. He's a sinner, just like the ones pursuing him. So, his plea or the grounds for God hearing him and answering him is not because of who he is, it's in spite of who he is. His trust is in God's faithfulness, in God's righteousness, and because God is faithful he will show himself as the trustworthy, covenant-keeping God that he is. Friends, isn't this what we heard from Jansen's sermon last week? Not because David was wrong, like the Pharisee, but because David models a heart that is like the tax collector that beats his chest and says, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And this truth is applied to David's prayer life. You see, David was not consumed with being the victim so much that he lost sight of his own unrighteousness. He was not consumed with being self-righteous. Instead, he was consumed with God's righteousness and God's faithfulness. This is the foundation of his prayer. But how does this apply to us? Friends, for us, we see this at the cross where God poured his wrath out on his only son, the wrath that we deserve and that through the grace of God, we can be made right with God. And through his sacrifice, we can pray just as David did. Friend, do you know Christ? Because this is where David plants his feet, because this is the trajectory for the rest of the psalm, we have to ask, do you know Christ? I don't know what trouble you are facing. And as real as they are, your ultimate problem is that you are a sinner separated from God. So friend, look to Jesus, believe, repent, and be saved. And if this is a reality in your life, if you are truly his, there is more comfort in this psalm than anything the world could ever give you. So we see the grounds for his prayer. And that, the gra- and that should be the grounds for ours as well. That he humbly admits his own sin and is trusting in God's faithfulness and righteousness, not his own. So now he pivots to give the reason for his prayer. We pick back up in verse 3. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. For, or since, or because, the enemy has pursued my soul. David, up to this point, has been looking outside of himself to his God. But now he pivots to look at the reason for his plea. For the reason he so desperately needs to be heard. And we see that this reason is not because of his own sin, like it is in Psalm 51. No, it's because an enemy has pursued him. Someone is maliciously, intentionally, and constantly trying to do him harm in some way. David is being sinned against. And as a result of this pursuit, he has been crushed his life to the ground. This isn't David throwing a fit over spilled milk. This isn't because David's feelings got hurt. He is crushed. David is feeling something more than he can articulate, more than he can say, so he just gives us a picture of something being compressed to nothing, of someone with so much weight over the top of them that they collapse and are trapped under the weight of it. But friends, he is not done with this description of his pain. He continues, he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Not only has it crushed him to the ground, it feels as though it has forced him six foot deep past ground level. This pursuit has done something to David. The enemy has pursued, crushed, and made him sit in darkness. We continue in verse 4, Therefore, or because of this, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. My spirit faints. Like a deer running from a predator so hard and so long it collapses or faints, this is the way David feels inside. He is exhausted, he is mentally and physically drained by the pursuits of his enemies. And in the second half of verse four, he says, My heart within me is appalled. His heart feels desolate. Like there's no life to be found. He's greatly dismayed or horrified. Do you hear the pain in his voice? He's depressed, he's crushed. But friends, again, this is not a depression or anxiety that is caused from his own sin. This is a pain that is caused by another's sin towards him. This is not something that originated inside of him, but this is the effects of somebody else's decisions on him. Don't forget he admitted his own unrighteousness in verses 1 and 2. That's how he started this prayer. But friends, that does not keep him from running to his God because he is crushed by somebody else's sin. Friends, there are people in this world that will seek or actively try to do you harm. People will either push you towards God or take you what feels like far from him. Go to your God in prayer and tell him everything. As we sang earlier in the service, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. David gives us an example of bearing his heart to God. David doesn't cover anything up. He doesn't hide anything. David chooses to tell him everything. David doesn't say, I know this theologically, so therefore I shouldn't be struggling in this way. No, David comes to his God and says, I can't breathe. He comes to his God and says, I can't take this anymore. I'm crushed. I'm depressed. I'm in a place as dark as death itself. God, help me. You might be asking, but Jackson, you read earlier in Psalm 139 that he knows when I sit. He knows when I rise up. He discerns our thoughts from afar. Why should I tell him all these things? Why should I tell a all-knowing God everything? He knows what's going on better than I do. Well, friend, we do not tell God things for his benefit. We are not God's eyes and ears on this earth. Our God is far too big to need anything from us. So friend, we tell God, not for his benefit, but for ours. We tell him for his glory and our good. Our shoulders can only take so much weight. So give it to the one who never grows weary. Friends, be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer In supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to him. Tell him everything. Just as David honestly tells God everything. This desperation that David is feeling, this oppression that he is feeling at the hands of his enemy, causes him to do something else though. It causes him to pray. That's what this whole psalm is. It's a prayer. But it causes David to reflect on what God has done in the past. We continue in verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. So friend, in the midst of being pursued crushed and in darkness with everything that is in him fainting and being desolate, with David being out in the middle of an ocean of sorrows and grief and troubles and pain, what does he do? What causes him to just keep treading water? What is the fuel he puts on his fire that is almost completely out? He remembers He meditates and he ponders on what God has already done. His mind was consumed with what God had done. He remembers all that God has done with the people of Israel. He meditates on God's provision in the past for his people. And he looks around him to the beauty and wonder of all that God has made. David takes his eyes off of his enemy, off of his feelings and pain, and he puts them back on God in his proven faithfulness. A big God is the only thing that can truly comfort a broken man. There are many ways to numb a man's troubles, but knowing and remembering and trusting God is the only thing that will truly help him. Friend, with this in mind, though, there comes a responsibility on us. As Jonathan Edwards says, men will trust in God no further than they know Him. So, friend, are you crushed? Go to the Scriptures. Saturate your mind with all that God has done. And there you will find more than enough reason to trust him and find comfort for your soul. Friend, remember, meditate, and ponder. Do not let your feelings draw you away from your Bible. Let your feelings push you towards your Bible. But this knowledge of what God has done doesn't only help David with the problem, but it shows him where he should go with his problem. David saw that even this knowledge was a means to an end, not an end in itself. David remembers and meditates and ponders, and it drives him to the object of his meditation. He continues in verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. You see, remembering, meditating, and pondering on what God had done makes David yearn even more for him. He can't help but reach for him. David again gets brutally honest about where he is mentally and emotionally. He knows what the things that he has remembered should do in him, but he admits it doesn't feel any of it. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. He wants his God to be close, to quench his thirst so that he can feel joy, peace, and comfort. So he reaches for him. As the young boy reaches for his dad, wanting just to be held and feel the security found in his father's arms, this is how David is reaching for his God. Friend, is this where you are at this morning? You have read in your Bible of a peace that surpasses all understanding, of an inexpressible joy, of a comfort that words cannot fully express, but you don't feel it. Oh friend, reach to your God. It is wrong for our feelings to stir up disbelief, but it is right for them to drive you to the God who can truly give you joy, peace, and comfort. Knowledge of God and what he has done does not make all of our anxieties go away, but it speaks of the one you can go to in the midst of them. It shows us the one we should run to. It shows us that we should come to him and ask him for whatever it is that we need. We read on in verse seven. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. David might as well be saying, I can't take it anymore. God, hurry. I'm reaching. All that David has been saying up till now boils over in his heart to an exclamation Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. David is at the end of himself, he's past the end of himself. There is no other hope for David. There is nothing in himself to dig deeper into. If God does not answer him, if God hides his face from him, if God does not come near to him, he will perish. So David is crushed. He's anxious, exhausted, and depressed from the sins of his enemy. He doesn't feel the comfort or the nearness of his God. He's at the end of himself. And what does he do? Does he wait for a brighter day before he comes to God? No. He goes to his God and asks him to make a brighter day. Even though David feels far from his God, he goes to him and depends on him to change what is crushing him, to revive his soul. In verse 8, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. David is so troubled, he feels as though he has grown deaf to his God. He cannot hear anymore. All he hears is the pain, the anxiety, the troubles. His troubles have turned into cotton in his ears and he feels as though his God is silent. So he pleads, he begs, let me hear you in the morning. God, as soon as possible, give me relief. Give me relief from my enemies. Give me relief from seeing you as far away. But friends, why does David plead with God in this way? If David is overwhelmed, full of anxiety, full of pain, his enemy seems to be winning. And he feels as though God is far away. Why does David go to him in prayer? Because he trusts him. He says, for in you, I trust. When everything around David seemed darker than night, he trusted his God. When his feelings weren't there, when everything around him was falling apart, he trusted God. Friend, what do you trust in when everything around you is shattering? When the darkness of your problem is all-consuming? When it makes you feel like all that is good is gone? What do you trust Trust in. Friend, trust in God. Pray that he would unite your heart to his word, that he would cause you to hear of his steadfast love, that he would take the cotton out of your ears so that you can be refreshed by the reality of who he is and what he has done. David is trusting and depending on his God. Friends, trust is deeper than a feeling. Trust is holding on to something against fleeting feelings because you are so convinced that what you are holding on to is true. He trusted God, and so should we. From this trust, though, David asks for something. We read on in the second half of verse A. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. David is not only at the end of himself, mentally and emotionally, he has no idea what to do with it all. And from this distress, he has no idea what to do next. Because of what his enemies have done to him, he's the definition of overwhelmed, He's asking God to show him how to live in light of all that he has said up till now. It's like he's saying, God, I want to glorify you. I want to deal with this in a way that is not sinful. I want the next thing I do to honor you, but I don't know what to do. (laughs) Show me what to do. You see, David did not only depend on his God for relief and to be revived, he depends on his God to show him what to do in the midst of his suffering. He depends on him to show him where he should go or what he should do next. Friends, these things, friends, feelings, there's nothing that clouds our judgment. Like an overwhelmed mind that is consumed with feelings. A mind that is full of pain and anxiety, a mind full of emotions as an enemy attacks, can cause us to miss our step. We can speak when we should be silent. We can be silent when we should speak. We can turn left when we should have turned right. Or we can let the fear and pain and anxiety make us just stand paralyzed in the middle of the road and not do a thing. This is what David is experiencing. This is why David is praying that God would make him know the way he should go. David is again depending on something outside of himself. This is why he says, for to you I lift up my soul. He's saying, I'm depending on you. You're all I have. I'm asking you. I'm not going anywhere else. So friend, if this is where you're at this morning, depend on God. Pray and ask God for wisdom we should learn from David's example and not only acknowledge that we don't know what to do, but specifically ask God for the wisdom that we need. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So friend, if sorrow and anxiety has clouded your mind, go to God and ask him to show you the way you should go. But friend, I would encourage you, do this with others. Set up a time to meet with one of our elders or maybe a member that you've seen that they're proven wisdom of God's word. Sit with them, then pray together with them that God would give you both wisdom but then go to your Bible with them and see what God has already said and how this might apply to whatever difficulty you might be facing. Friends, pray for wisdom, then believing that he will give it, seek it. But David was not so consumed with how he should deal with his suffering or with how he should walk in it that he did not ask God to be delivered from it. He continues in verse 9, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. It's almost as if, as he's recounting all the things that he does not know how to deal with, the things that he does not know what to do with, it drives him to another exclamation. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. Make it stop. Make them stop. Rescue me. Deliver me. I can't take it anymore. David is asking. He's pleading that this nightmare would end. He has shifted from how he should deal with it to that God would remove him from it altogether that God would deliver him. David from verse five knows what God is capable of. David has remembered what God has done throughout the history of the people of Israel in his own life. David has meditated on all that God did there in the past, the miracles he has worked, the times God has supernaturally delivered them when all hope seemed lost. David has pondered on the works of his hand. David looks at all, that he has got, at all that his God has created, at all that he has spoken into existence. He's looked at the mountains and the valleys, the oceans and the sky and all that is in them, and David runs back to his big God. And David humbly, honestly, dependently asks that God would deliver him and he says i have fled to you for refuge david knows that is safer with his god than inside any of the strongest fortresses he could run into david will not run to a man david will not run to money david will not run to an army He runs to his God to cover him, to protect him. But friends, what I want to remind us is that we have no reason to believe that anything has changed yet. That's why David is still asking to be delivered. David's soul still thirsts for his God from verse six. He is still crushed from verse three. And it's as though through his tears, He says, where else would I go? Friends, once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there is no substitute. So David runs to his God against all emotions. He asks, pleads, that God would deliver him. And friend, there is no desperate plea that our father does not hear. So friend, go to your God and ask for your deliverance. Flee to him. Depend on him. Tell other members to join with you in this prayer. Where else would we turn? After this cry, David does not stop. He continues in verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David is emphasizing, he's double-clicking on what he said back in the second half of verse 8. Make me know the way I should go. David says again, teach me to do your will. David is saying that he needs something that he does not have. That David needs knowledge. He needs to be shown how to do God's will. He needs God to show him how to not sin in the midst of his suffering. In the midst of this pursuit of his enemies that has made him feel as though he was far away from his God. He needs God to show him how to not sin. Friends, it is far easier to repay evil for evil It is far easier to let your mind fester and hold on to what others have done to you. It is easy to meditate on all the wrongs you have experienced at the hands of others. It is easy to sin as others sin against you. But we need God to teach us how to do His will. Isn't this why Jesus told us to love our enemies in Luke 6, 27? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And further on in verses 32 through 36, if you love those who love you, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. David, please, For this kind of love. For this kind of awareness to do what is right in the sight of God. Not his own. David, please for God to show him the way he should go on level ground so that David does not take the mountain range of his own sin. And he says in the middle, for you are my God. Friends, David is depending on God for everything. He depends on him to come close to him, to revive his soul. He depends on God to show him how he should act and what he should do. He depends on his God to deliver him. And in the last two verses, David shows us again, like in verse one, that he is depending on God's righteousness, not his own. There is not a single thing David is depending on himself for. In these last verses, David turns back to the grounds for his prayer. It reads, For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. For your namesake, O Lord, David was not looking to triumph over his enemies for all to look at him and see how great he is. No, David wanted his enemies to see God as the powerful God that he is. Who's on the side of his people. Who hates sin and will not leave it untouched. But that God would deliver him from from his enemies and preserve his life so that all would see the hand of God. He goes on, In your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. Not in my righteousness answer me, in your righteousness answer me. Remember verse 2? It reads, No one living is righteous before you. David is depending on God to be who God is. David's hope hasn't changed from verse 1 all the way till now. David's hope is in the trustworthy, covenant-keeping God that he is. Friends, this is applied to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Friend, again, because of Jesus' work for you, you can pray as David did. In your righteousness, answer me. Because Jesus' finished work, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Christian, you belong to God. And from this, you can have confidence in God. David continues in verse 12, not with pleading, but with statements. He says, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Do you hear the confidence in his voice? David is confident the Lord will do exactly what he said he would do. Because David is God's servant. Because he belongs to God. But friends, what we have to understand from this psalm is that it was written at a specific point in redemptive history. And God has made promises to David and to the people of Israel that do not specifically directly transfer over to us. So how should you and I read this verse we should read it that God will strike down anyone that opposes us? In fact, we read in Second Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. God told us we will suffer. He doesn't say he's going to smite every single one that does it to us. So then what comfort is there in this last verse for us? What do we confidently say? Friends, there is judgment day coming that no sin will be left unaccounted for. We can confidently say that God uses all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose we can confidently say that God hears every prayer. We can say that because of Christ, he who began a good work will bring, bring it to completion. So friends, your enemy might never fall in your eyesight, but it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God on judgment day. But friends, we should hold on to this with tears in our eyes. Because without God, without Jesus Christ, there would be no difference in us. Oh, what confidence we have in Christ. So friend, are you crushed this morning? Is there an enemy that is pursuing you? Does your soul thirst for God? Are you about to collapse? Do you need your God to answer you quickly? Do you need to be delivered? Then go to Him in humble, honest, dependent, confident prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm that shows us a broken, weak man crying out to you. We thank you that because of you, we can humbly, honestly, dependently, and confidently come to you. Father, we pray that this reality would comfort anyone that needs it and strengthen those who will need it someday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.